for me, just validating the fact that parenting little kids is really hard. And that's why it feels hard. It's not because I'm failing. It's not because there's some magical tantrum cure that I haven't used. It's not because I'm missing a tip. It's because it can feel really, really hard. And something that we teach our clients, a really tangible tool, is adding the words, and that's okay, on the end of a sentence that we have to ourselves. I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. Today, we're so excited to interview Jess from Our Mama Village. Jess is a psychotherapist and a mama of two. I have to say, I have been consuming your content daily since I found you. I find it so helpful and I'm excited for our audience to get to know you better. Having you on our podcast is definitely self-serving because I feel like I need all of these topics right now, but I know that our listeners are also going to benefit from this conversation. So Jess, if you could take a minute to introduce yourself to our audience. Thank you so much. So first off, I just want to thank you guys so much for having me on here. This is such an amazing podcast. And as I was just saying to you off air, I love to refer my clients to your podcast. So great work. As you mentioned, my name is Jess. I'm a registered psychotherapist and I'm a mom to two girls. I've been working with children and families as a therapist for many years, even before having my own kids. But after having my first daughter, which was about five years ago, in my pregnancy, I went through preterm labor. I was on bed rest for four months. Then I had her and I thought everything would be easier. And I ended up going through postpartum anxiety and then into her early toddler years that were really, really difficult. And I started to understand the parents that I was working with before and really understand how hard parenting is. So after going through a lot of those struggles, postpartum anxiety being really, really hard and being a mental health professional, feeling like, how did I go through eight years of school and not feel prepared for my own postpartum journey? I switched my focus to working with a parent's mental health and child's behavior. And I realized that before I had only been focusing on the child's behavior and I had kind of left out the parent's mental health piece. I went and I did some training in perinatal mental health. I left my agency job. I started my own private practice and I started working with children and families every single day. One day I was working with a family and I remember it so clear. They were both doctors themselves. And they said to me how strange it is that you have to pay for therapy, come to an office to learn information about children, their behavior, and their own mental health. Even they, as very well-educated people, didn't understand a lot of the things that I was telling them in therapy. And they said, wouldn't it be really nice if this information could be more accessible? It would be super helpful for so many people. And that's where the idea of Our Mama Village really came in. Before that time, I had a page arm on the village, but it was more of just a personal blog. And I had just been talking about my own journey with anxiety and getting training in mental health and that kind of stuff. But after that conversation with those parents, I really turned and started posting tips, information on parents' mental health and child behavior. I really believe, and we really believe at Our Mom Village, that every parent deserves tools that they need to understand their child's behavior and build a happier home. And parenting is so hard and it can be really, really hard to know how to respond to kids on your own. 
So that's what we do at our mama village. We provide free information, courses, counseling, and even more to help support parents and caregivers. And just the accessibility piece that you brought up there, Jess, you having that page makes it so accessible for us to get those tools, to get those resources that we desperately need. And you use your own experience and your education and just really shines through. And as our audience knows, Amy and I, we're both in the throes of parenting. We each have three small children. And just like so many listening, we are learning along the way. And one thing that we both appreciate about your feed is that you know, as a mother yourself, that none of us are going to get things perfect. So can we start by really wrapping our arms around these moms and dads listening and assuring them that perfection is not the goal of this conversation or anything that you share on your page and the resources that you have? Absolutely. I love that you brought this up. I think it's so important to just preface any conversation about parenting with this. Perfection is not the goal of parenting because it's not possible. I love podcasts because I feel like we can really talk about this on a deeper level. I started Our Mama Village four years ago. And when I started, I was one of the only parenting pages out there. But now there's so much information out there and it can feel really overwhelming at times. And I know I get messages from parents all the time saying that they feel like they're doing something wrong because they're not following every single script to a T or they're not doing everything perfect. And I want parents to know that they can release themselves from that pressure. I live and breathe this work and I absolutely do not follow every script to a T every single day. And that's okay. It's not possible. And our kids don't need that from us. So they need our presence and they need us to be there and they don't need us to be perfect. And imperfect parenting is perfect. It's great. Yeah. I often think to myself, it's like, what example are you setting if you are so hard on yourself all the time for these little kids that are coming after us? Because as humans, we're all going to make mistakes. I think it is really hard for those listening, though, because when they are trying to learn something new or maybe they're trying to unlearn the ways that they were raised, a lot of shame can come up. And so I love the Maya Angelou quote, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. So we're going to start the conversation by just giving you guys that reminder of we are just trying to give you information that could help. I know I need it, as does Abby. So let's first talk about discipline. I know that this can be a really hot topic, especially between partners, which we'll get into in a little bit. Can you start by telling us why things like yelling your child out of a tantrum, timeouts, or spanking don't work in the long run and what we can do instead? For sure. I love this question. It's a loaded one, but I'll try and simplify the answer. So to discipline, the root of discipline really means to teach and to guide. So our goal as parents is to teach and guide our little ones and show them new ways of behaving that will work and to get their needs met. And I think most parents can agree that's our goal. We want to teach them ways of behaving that will serve them well throughout their lives. Things like yelling, spanking, and other methods of punishment often feel like they work in the short term. And I like to bring that up because I do want to talk about the fact that they feel like they often work. They make us feel like we're doing something to stop the behavior. It's something that we can do right away. And you might even see a short-term reduction in that behavior. But what the literature shows us and what you'll probably learn through this interview is I'm very nerdy and I'm very into reading a lot of research. So what the literature shows us over and over is they are not effective in the long term. And the reason is it's not teaching our children new ways to get their needs met. So what we like to do is look at behavior as communication. Even the most challenging behaviors are a children's way of letting us know a need that they have. When we try and squash the behavior with punishment, the underlying need behind the behavior is still there, 
and the child still needs to learn a new way to get their need met. Even if the punishment stops them from kicking you again because they're afraid of being punished or they don't want the punishment, you'll likely see a new challenging behavior pop up to get the need met. So it feels like the punishment was effective because they're not kicking, but now you're seeing more challenging behavior. And parents get stuck in what I call punishment cycles. And the research shows us that we might see more and more aggressive behavior the more punishments that we give out. And usually the more punishments we give, we give more and more. So my approach is all about curiosity first. We want to try to teach our kids new ways to get their needs met so they don't have to engage in the challenging behavior. Okay. That one was so good. And right before we jumped on, I was telling Amy, there's going to be a lot of dads or a lot of partners listening to this one. And that answer, Kyle and I just had a conversation about this last night with our three-year-old right now, our middle child, Micah, that punishment cycle, we are in that right now. And we're not helping along the way because we're trying to focus on that short-term fix because in the moment it feels so good. But at the same time, we know that we're not teaching long-term strategies. I know it can be so hard because it certainly feels like children are trying to manipulate us or they're trying to get under our skin. And when they're throwing that tantrum, we're like, oh my gosh, can you just stop right now? But you tell us that this isn't the case. So explain why children throw these tantrums in the very first place. For sure. So what's really important to know about tantrums is they're actually developmentally appropriate. So just like when our babies need us to rock and soothe them when they cry in order to become calm, toddlers also need us to find their calm. But as they get older, we seem, and I do the same thing. I have a 19-month-old who's in the throes of, of tantrums right now. We lose compassion, and at some point we think, ah, they should know better. But it's important to remember that emotional regulation is a skill that's learned over time and not something that happens as soon as a child gets to a certain age. Just like we teach our kids to ride a bike, use a fork, drink from an open cup, we also have to teach them how to regulate their own emotions. And what the research shows us is they learn how to regulate their emotions through repeated exposures to a calm caregiver in moments when they feel upset. It's really hard to believe that at times. I get it. Like I said, I have a toddler right now, and we are definitely in the throes of the toddler tantrums. But when I remember that she isn't out to get me or trying to make my day more difficult, she's simply trying to figure out how to express herself and she needs my help. Those mindset shifts really do make it easier to respond. We want to take a quick break for our sponsor, which is BetterHelp. You guys, we know that parenting is hard. Tantrums are hard. They really throw us for a loop. Like I know personally, I can feel all out of sorts when we're in the middle of a struggle, when we're in the middle of a tantrum. And sometimes you can feel like you're not your best as a mom. I get that. I'm going to say that out loud. Sometimes I feel like I'm a bad mom. And one thing that I've worked on with my therapist in the past is removing that language completely. Like we are not a bad mom. We are not doing anything wrong. This is hard because it's hard. This is hard because kids throw tantrums. This is hard because meltdowns do happen. And with BetterHelp, they just do a really good job in therapy and in counseling and in these conversations of not only giving you solidarity and affirming and validating, but then also giving you some tips and resources to get through it on a personal level. So my therapist, Susan, she's been able to help me with mantras. She's been able to help me with websites or resources to download, not only in parenting, but with things like body image, with things like stress postpartum anxiety, depression. Like these are all things that I'm talking about with my therapist and that you can too. So if this is hard right now, know that it's hard because it's hard. And also know that getting the help you need is right around the corner. So you can go to betterhelp.com 
backslash herself. And that does get you 10% off your first month with a counselor. Again, BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P dot com backslash herself for 10% off. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of adults that are still working on emotional regulation. So sometimes we have to think about what we're expecting from these little people that are just learning. And the way that you said that was so inspiring to me. It didn't feel shaming. It's inspiring that I should be the calm in their storm. So I was on your website and I downloaded the Toddler Meltdown Guide, which we will link for you guys in the show notes. You talk about how you have to think about the way that we were parented ourselves because it really does impact the way that we parent. I remember Drew and I were in our premarital counseling before we got married and we had to talk in depth about how our parents handled conflict. At the time, I didn't really understand why we were diving so deep into it, but then they showed us without even realizing it, Drew and I had taken on some of the patterns that our parents had used to handle their conflict. So we were emulating them without even really realizing. So explain why it's important for us to take a while to reflect on the way that we were raised And if you could provide our listeners with some prompts to think through as they are reflecting. I love that you brought this up. This is one of my favorite topics to talk about. I'm sure you guys have seen me talk about this on Our Mama Village a lot of times, but I truly believe that reflection is the key to parenting in a way that aligns with your values. And we're all going to have different values, so none of us have to parent in the exact same way, but we really do want to reflect on what those values are. I always think about this time, you're talking about you and Drew and your premarital counseling. For my husband, Scott and I, there was this moment that it really clicked for me. We were sitting on our deck outside and I was actually writing my first parenting course, my first online course. This was about three and a half years ago. And all of a sudden, an ice cream truck was coming down our street. And I was really excited, uh, so little child at heart. I said to my husband, oh, we should go get ice cream. We should take our daughter. We should go get ice cream. This is so fun and exciting and great childhood memories. As soon as I heard the music from the ice cream truck. And I looked at my husband and he had the exact opposite reaction. So something to know about him. He grew up in a home where there was a lot of trauma, addiction, abuse. And he remembered when he heard the sound of the ice cream truck, totally different memories from being a little kid who wasn't allowed to have ice cream and just some of the challenging memories that came around when he heard that ice cream truck music. And I think it's a really good example of why reflection is important. You and Drew or you and Colin, you could be experiencing the exact same thing happening, but you're both going to interpret that event through your own lens and worldview. So when your kids have a tantrum or they're fighting or something comes up, you'll have your own worldview, your own lens that you see that situation happening and without reflection, we'll respond using that lens. If your parent handled a tantrum with grace and ease, it'll be likely easier for you to do the same. But if you grew up like my husband in a really challenging home, you may have this story in your mind that your child's bad and needs to be punished and you'll see it through that lens. So when we reflect on our past experiences, we can see what we want to take out of those experiences. We can start to understand that okay, that reaction in my body when my child's having a tantrum where I feel like I need to just shut down this emotion, that's actually my dad's voice. That's not actually who I want to be. And we can start to work to change those experiences and do something different. 
And I really feel like this is huge and not talked about often enough. In one of our parenting courses, our main parenting course, this is a huge part of the course. And it's the thing that I hear from parents was the most helpful more than any tip or trick or anything else that I can give them. I loved that answer. It really softens me to my partner because it's like, I have to understand what his experience has been. And often if we take the time to reflect on that, we'd be better able to explain it to our partner. So it's like the why behind the way that we do things is sometimes a little bit deeper than that surface. And I did want to get into talking about how hard it can be when you and your partner land in different places when it comes to discipline. Drew has a much more traditional view of discipline. He raises his voice and he expects that our children will listen to him. In his words, which I asked for permission to share on this interview and during this podcast, he says, I reasonably expect that they can behave in a certain way. So how can we try to get our partner on the same page when it comes to taking a more gentle or research-backed approach? And ultimately, if we can't, is it still worth disciplining in a way that aligns what we've learned about and what we believe in? This is such a good question and probably one of the most common questions that I get when I'm talking about parenting, because it is challenging because like I mentioned, we come from those two different backgrounds, those two different worldviews. So we're going to see some things differently. So it's really important to recognize we don't need to do things exactly the same. And it's not our job to force anybody to change. So for my partner, like I mentioned, he grew up in a really traumatic, challenging home it was really helpful to present him with research and logic as to why this parenting style works and why it's different. He's an engineer. And so he actually recorded my first parenting course for me about three years ago. We recorded it in my living room. And as I was writing the course, he sat next to me and he tried to poke holes in the arguments in the course just to make sure the points were actually research-based. And for him, that was really helpful to see the logic and the research behind it. And that's why when I was talking about punishment, I like to actually acknowledge why parents punish their children and not just say, well, it's bad and you should never do it. I think it's really important for us to be open and to have those really difficult conversations about things like punishment. So something that I always go through with my clients, and this is something that comes up over and over in the clients that we see at our private practice, is making a list of negotiables and non-negotiables. Remember that you guys are on the same team and you really do have the same purpose in mind of wanting to raise emotionally healthy children. If you can, you can sit together and come up with a list of things that are non-negotiable. These are the things that you both really agree on in terms of parenting. You really want to raise your children in this certain way. And then there's other things that you might do different and that's okay. And so going through that exercise together often really helps parents and one parent might have something that's non-negotiable and then you can kind of talk about why that's so important to them. And that might be a time when you could bring up some research and logic. It might be good to take a class together and say, I'm not expecting you're going to agree with everything in this class. That's what I'll have when parents take my parenting course and say, I don't expect you to agree with everything, but maybe just watch it and try and learn something new. And then let's talk about what we want to take from that. And it's really important to recognize that children benefit from you both being consistent to yourself. So they need to know what they can consistently expect from each parent. So it's okay if you take more of a gentle approach. 
And maybe your husband has a little bit of a different approach, but your children know what to expect from both of you. That's really key. Mm, I like that last part because even if you are parenting differently, staying consistent in your own parenting, that can help out the kids. And also it just helps you just feeling more stable in all of this. And you mentioned that list of negotiables and non-negotiables. And I'm going to bring that up to Colin tonight. I am definitely a list girl. And so that is so helpful just to know what to do. If you tell me exactly how to do something, I know that I can execute. So tell us a little bit more about this other part of your program with the four C's to helping toddlers with the meltdown, because I know for the other list lovers in our group, this one's going to be good. I'm a list lover too. So I love that. (laughs) I love that you're a list lover because for me, lists just make things make sense. And that's why I love the negotiable and non-negotiable. It's just something you can always go back to. So it makes things easy. But for the four C's to helping toddlers with a meltdown, I'll just quickly go over what they are and why they're important. The first C that we talk about in that free guide is connection. The most important piece to remember is that a solid relationship with our children is the foundation of helping them cope with their big feelings. More than anything, more than any tip, tool, trick, anything is a solid relationship. And that's where you're going to see behavior stem out of. That's where you're going to see that connection with your child. And that's really the key in those early years of parenting. They need to know that they're safe with us. They can share with us openly and that we care about them. And there's so many ways that we can do this. But something that I really encourage is if they're really struggling with behavior, focus on just 15 minutes a day of engaged connection time with your children. And I know I had this last night. My daughters were both in school and daycare. They came home and we were making pizza and everything was a mess. It was a complete disaster. And my 19-month-old was having a really, really hard time. She was having meltdowns, tantrums. She was crying all through dinner. And so after dinner, I took her upstairs. I took her to her room and I just sat on the floor with her and just played. We sang songs and we played and everything changed. Her mood completely turned around. And sometimes just taking that time and just being engaged and having that attentive time with them can really turn an evening or a day around. The second one is calm. So as we talked about before, children will have big emotions and we can't stop that from happening. That's part of being a child. That's part of who they are. And there'll be times when they lose it, get upset. They don't want to hear you say no. They get mad at you. And it's important to remember that that's okay. If we can remain calm and not join their chaos, that will really help. I know that that is very difficult to do at times, but we really want to model the behavior that we want to see. I do this with my toddler or my school-age child through narrating her feelings. I'll say something like, I see you're really upset right now. You really want the cup. I wait with them. So it's not all about talking all the time. Sometimes they just need you to be there with them while they release their big tears and their big emotions and then connecting with them again after the meltdown. And just remember, if you're having a hard time staying calm, it's okay to step away. It's okay to take a break take a few deep breaths and remember that staying calm when your children are really upset is sometimes the hardest part of parenting is regulating your own emotions. So it's okay to take a break. It's okay to take a step back and really care for yourself as well in those moments. The next one is something that we were just talking about is being consistent, remembering that it's a child's job to test the boundaries and it's our job to try and stay as consistent as possible. Children really thrive when they know what to expect from a parent. When they don't know what to expect from your response, then you're going to see more challenging behavior because they're trying to figure out 
what happens when I engage in this behavior? How does my parent respond? What happens in my environment? So if it's consistent every time, or at least most of the time, I know it's hard to be consistent every time, then we're going to see less and less of that challenging behavior because they know what to expect from you. And the last one is something that is really important to us at Our Mama Village, which is being curious. So remembering that behavior is never just behavior. That's something that I would hear from my clients all the time when I was working with kids in the school system. And often we'd have police involvement and I would just hear, it's just behavior. It's just behavioral. And I would always say, it's never just behavior. There's always a reason why. And that's what we want to uncover. And I want to talk about some of the research-backed reasons why behavior happens. So first, behavior can happen for a sensory reason. So potentially the child's hungry. I know that I definitely am grumpier and probably engage in my own challenging behavior when I'm hungry or tired. So it's important (laughs) to just get curious about that. Potentially it's a sensory thing. They might be very sensitive. They might be overloaded and need a break. Perhaps the child needs some connection time with you, like last night with my toddler who had not really had any one-on-one time with me all day. And she really just needed that attention and that connection time, which is a really, really valid need. Perhaps the child wants to remove themselves from an activity or something like that that they don't like. We would see that really often with school-age children where they would be getting sent to the principal's office over and over and over. And the principal would be like, these punishments aren't working. They keep coming to my office. But we'd get curious and realize that they actually hated math class and were really not good at math, or they felt like they weren't good at math and they really struggled. So we wanted to meet that need of getting them help in math class instead of punishing them more. Or the child wants an item or activity. I mean, we see that all the time. You're at the grocery store, your child's having a tantrum because they want a chocolate bar. So that could be another need that's happening. That was awesome. So the four C's to review are connection, calm, consistent, and curious. Yes. Yes. And Abby and I both have school-aged children now. Our oldest, both of our oldest just started kindergarten. And it has been quite a big transition. We've noticed with our oldest, he has had a little bit more behavior issues at home from this transition. So you kind of answered this question in your last answer, but I'm sensing that the four C's do really apply to school-aged children as well. And then can you talk, because I think there's this misconception that once our children are school-aged, that these behavior issues might go away or like we have really high expectations of them. But we've noticed that our bigger littles still definitely have some pretty big feelings. Yes, for sure. I also have a child who started kindergarten this year. So I'm right there with you and totally can relate to that feeling of, okay, well, you're older now, so you should be able to manage your emotions. And it's important for me to even check my expectations for my oldest child. And especially a big change like starting school, we definitely will see more challenging behaviors and more big emotional releases at home because they often keep it together pretty well all day when they're at school. And then they get home, they feel safe, they feel like they can finally just let out all those feelings and we'll often see some more challenging behaviors, especially around a big transition like school. So I just want to normalize that for both of you and say that I've also been there with my school-aged child, but it's very, very common. And 100% these principles apply to all children I worked for a government program and we worked with kids with challenging behavior. 
and we worked with kids three to 18. And I used the same principles across all children, especially the curiosity section. Those reasons that I listed, those are based in decades of research and it applies even to your behavior. So if you want to get curious about your own behavior, you can go through those same reasons just to kind of understand what's going on with ourselves. So definitely it applies to all ages. This podcast episode is brought to you by our partner, Gooder. We love Gooder sunglasses, as you guys know, which they have so many models that are going to take you from everything from running to golfing to cycling to gaming even. And you can use them in the winter when the sun is so bright that you need sunglasses still. One thing that Abby and I really love is their limited edition collaboration with Re. Reebok. We both have the women's Reebok Times Run Gooders. And these are amazing shoes that look the part. They work well. They fit well. You can wear them all day. We love them. So you can head over to gooder.com. That's G-O-O-D-R.com and use the code HERSELF15 for 15% off. So go to gooder.com, use the code HERSELF, and we would love to see what you pick. Okay. So we're not doing anything wrong. If no. our five-year-olds are still melting down. Okay. Good. You're doing great. You're doing great. Oh gosh. But it's so hard. Like these meltdowns when they're happening, it can be so hard on parents. And I know we understand that the kids are having a hard time, but it certainly can feel so stressful for us as adults. And we recently interviewed Kristen Neff. So Jessica, she was on episode 97 and she speaks all on self-compassion and talks about when hard parenting moment is happening, how important it is to really flood yourself with self-compassion. So doing that first. And for me, it's like, Abby, this is really hard right now. Like, boy, this is hard right now is one of those mantras that I've been saying on repeat knowing that the time will pass, but right in this moment, this is a challenge. So can you talk about self-compassion and why that's important as we navigate tantrums and just some real-time strategies if both you and your child are overwhelmed in the exact same moment? Yes, for sure. I love Kristen's work and I love that you had her on the podcast. That's amazing. And it's really key. I think in my parenting course, I probably say give yourself grace like a hundred times. But what I truly believe is the compassion that we give to ourselves flows out to others around us. When we're being really hard or critical on our own parenting or on ourselves, we're often harder on our kids. And I believe that those that are the hardest and most judgmental of others are often feeling that same way towards themselves. I like to tell myself, this is hard or this feels hard because it is hard. And for me, just validating the fact that parenting little kids is really hard. And that's why it feels hard. It's not because I'm failing. It's not because there's some magical tantrum cure that I haven't used. It's not because I'm missing a tip. It's because it can feel really, really hard. And when I can allow that to be okay, that really helps for me personally. And something that we teach our clients, a really tangible tool is adding the words, and that's okay, on the end of a sentence that we have to ourselves. So if you end a really challenging day and say, today, was really hard. I didn't parent in a way that felt super good for me. And then you add the three words and that's okay. All of a sudden that statement that may have felt really critical at first can feel a little bit more compassionate. So that's a tangible tool that I think is really simple. Add those three words onto the end of those sentences and just try and take a breath and realize it is hard and that's okay. 
Right. It's like we're not able to go back in time and fix the things we did, but we certainly can give ourselves compassion and move forward Mm -hmm. knowing that we can, you know, do better. We're always all going to screw up. Like that's the thing. I think women are so hard on themselves, but we're all human and we're not going to get it perfectly. So Jess, I saw something recently on your Instagram and you were talking about not sweeping tricky topics under the rug. It really spoke to me. As I said, as a mom of a five-year-old, he asks some incredible questions. I didn't even know that these questions were going to come so early on in his life, but he's asking and wanting to understand everything from his own anatomy to death. So can you give us some tips when we're navigating these conversations? Because I know sometimes as parents, it's like, we're the ones that kind of feel like awkward or like, should I answer this? Yes. I find it so interesting. So our kids are all the same age and my daughter too is asking me so many tricky questions. And I think it's really different than, I'm not sure what your parents were like, but I have amazing parents, but they definitely did not talk about tricky topics when I was a child. They were swept under the rug or we tried to redirect me or not talk about the question. So I think this is a very different time that we're living in where we do feel like we can have these conversations with our kids. And I think it's really helpful. But one thing that I hear from parents all the time is, well, I don't know what to say and I feel overwhelmed and what should we do? So my favorite tip to remember is thank them for asking the question. We want our kids to know that it's okay. They can come to us with any question. So I just like to start it by saying, thank you so much for asking me this question. That was a really good question. And then I take a breath before responding. If I have a response at the top of my mind, I will say something that's really factual and I'll try not to overshare. Our tendency is to freak out and feel like we need to say something right now. So that often ends up being oversharing or we don't know what to say. So we shut it down. So it's okay just to say, thank you so much for asking me the question. I need to think a little bit on my answer and I'm going to get back to you. And then you can get back to them once you've thought about what you want to say or try and just give them a very factual answer and then follow their lead for more questions. So don't give them way too many details. And if there's something specifically that you want me to give an example on, I'm happy to do that. But I know there's so many tricky topics and we could probably have a whole other podcast episode on this. Well, it was interesting because what spurred this question is he was taking a bath and he was asking if pee came from his testicles, like if the testicles were what housed the pee. And I was like, that's an incredible question. No, the bladder actually holds your pee. And then he asked me what was inside of his testicles. And I was like, do I answer that in a way of just sticking to the facts? Or is that something he doesn't quite need to know yet? I would say you could just give him the facts on that. And you don't need to give him too much additional information, but you can just tell him what some of the names are for things that are going on inside of his testicles and then just leave it there. Often just giving them an answer is enough at that age. But if we avoid it or we say, oh, you know, you don't need to know that yet, then they're going to be even more curious and probably keep asking you questions. So it's better just to be factual, but you don't need to give him, you know, the whole sex talk right at that moment either. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was a nurse, so I understand the anatomy very well, but I think some other parents might have to brush up on what's going on everywhere because it's like they're so curious and they want to know. 
Yeah. And you know, I wouldn't normalize that. I have a consent course. I talk a lot about body safety, consent, that kind of stuff. And one of the things when I was creating it, I asked parents, you know, what do you want in it? And they said, can you just give us an anatomy lesson? Because I don't even know necessarily what things are called. So I want to normalize that and say that's really common for the majority of people because we weren't taught that either. Right. It was taboo when we were growing up. And now we're the ones who are supposed to be instructing on this. So that would probably be a really good course lesson. That's a really good idea to add that in there. Yeah. I remember I was telling my husband about we have two girls, right? So we're talking about vulvas and stuff like that. He's like, ah, I can't say that. So I think it's really, yeah, it's important to have those tricky conversations, even as a couple, before you talk about it with your kids. Ah, so important. So another thing, Jess, that I came across on your feed was this quote. You said, when it comes to sibling conflict, most parents don't want to play the role of referee. So every time you jump in to solve their problem, your children are learning to depend on you to stay in this role as referee. So I know that both Amy and I and so many of our listeners, they deal with sibling conflict. And I would love to hear your advice about this one. Yes. I love to see how kids can collaboratively problem solve with each other. So in those moments when they come to you, they're both crying. And I have a lot of this in my house right now. They both have a certain perspective. I like to take the time to let each child share their perspective and not necessarily get tangled up in all the facts of what's going on. And then for me, what I try and do is narrate what's happening to them. Say, okay, I see two of you. You both want this toy. You're both interested in this toy. I wonder what would help. And I like to use those I wonder statements. And before I step in and say, I'm taking the toy away, you guys don't need to play with this, or you guys go take a break from each other, which sometimes is the answer, I like to see if they can come up with something. And sometimes we do have to be that referee. Sometimes we do have to step in. Obviously, we want to keep safety at the top of mind. But if we can let them learn to solve their own problems, it does help work us out of a role. And eventually, as they get older... And it may take a while to get there. They can work to solve their own problems instead of having us always in the middle. I had heard that on a different podcast once and I found that it really works. If you stay out of their conflict, there might be a crescendo where it gets pretty loud, but the boys can usually figure it out themselves if I give them the space. And if I get comfortable being uncomfortable with all the noise (laughs) that happens as they get to their resolution. It usually does work. I wanted to ask you a question and this is totally like I'm using you for my own needs right now. But something that's been happening in our house is that our boys are at an age where they understand how to intentionally agitate the other one. So often they'll repeat something over and over because they know it's making the other brother mad. What strategy do you have for this? Because I want to have them understand it's not very nice to agitate their brother. Yeah, for sure. So outside of the strategy I just gave, what I would say is try and talk about it when they're calm and make a plan that they can stick to. If someone's not feeling good about the way a conversation is going or if someone's feeling agitated, I really like the phrase teach when teachable. And often in the moment of sibling conflict is not the time to try and teach a lesson. And that's something that really goes with all of the things we've been talking about today. We want to teach our children when they're teachable. And that's usually in the moments when they are calm. And that's a good time to practice coping with these things that happen when they're dysregulated. So you could have a plan of maybe this is a sign that it's gone too far. This is a sign that I need a break and I'm going to go take a break. Or 
this is where I'm going to go if I'm feeling annoyed by my brother. Just having a plan that they can stick to in those moments and practicing, you could even role play it when they're calm, can really help in those moments that are really tricky and they're already dysregulated. Mm, And as parents, sometimes we want to rush past those feelings or get to the solution, but really checking in on those signs waiting for that teachable moment. It's just going to be better for everyone. Jess, we could literally talk to you all day and bring up all of the little challenges that we're going with because we need this information right now, but we definitely want to respect your time. So let's finish with two things that kind of play into each other. And one of your posts reminds us that it's okay for your child to be mad at you. And another reminds that it is healthy for us to apologize to your children when we're wrong. So can you help us navigate when we owe an apology and when we're holding a boundary and it's okay for our child to be upset with us? Yeah, for sure. This is a big one and it's really important. So I think about, did we come from a regulated place when we're holding a boundary? Did we say something that may have been hurtful to them? Did we yell? Did we say something that doesn't align with our values as a parent and with what feels good for us as a parent? Or did we simply tell them, I can't let you hit your brother. I can't let you have this plate. You can't have this toy because you're hitting your sister with it. If we're just simply setting a boundary, we don't need to apologize for that. I really don't believe that we need to over-apologize to our kids every time that we make them upset or angry. As we are the leaders in our home, there are going to be times that they don't like what we're doing, but that is part of how we're teaching them what behavior works and what behavior doesn't. But if we lose our cool, if we get really angry with them, we say something that's hurtful, it's a really good time to apologize. We don't have to make it long and drawn out. We don't have to plead for their forgiveness, but we do have to say something like, I'm really sorry. It wasn't okay for me to yell at you. And I just want you to know that I apologize and I didn't feel good about how I talked to you earlier. I do think that that's a really, really important skill. And that repair process is key because as parents, we're never going to do things perfect. We're going to have these moments where we argue with our kids or we get mad at them. So going back and having that repair is really key. You know, it really reminds me of being in our relationships too with our partner, because what I'm hearing is that even if your message was the message you wanted to get across, if your delivery was wrong, A, they can't hear it and B, we might owe an apology. And then another thing that was coming up for me is that what I've found when I've learned about apologizing to my kids is that I don't rationalize it. I'm sorry I yelled, but you were being crazy. <laughs> like I really have to stop myself after the apology to make sure I'm just giving them a good apology. That's like, I'm sorry that mommy raised her voice. Yes, that that's really key is we don't want to say... I'm sorry, mommy raised her voice because you were driving me nuts. We might be feeling that, but that can be our our inside voice, that second part. Exactly. And stopping yourself right there is growth. Like that is work. I've had to work on that in my relationship, in my motherhood. So Jess, I'm such a huge fan of yours. Like you make me feel calm. You make me feel curious. I'm so thankful to have gotten to interview you. So thank you for all the work that you are doing in this world because it really is making a difference. Please tell our listeners where they can find more of you. Well, first, thank you so much for having me. This has really been a pleasure and it's been so nice to be able to connect with you. I feel like I know you ladies already. So this is really nice to actually be able to talk in person. You can find me, Our Mama Village, on Instagram, Our Mama Village on Facebook, or OurMamaVillage.com. 
And on Instagram, Facebook, and on our website, we have a free toddler guide, which we talked about today. And I also have a free masterclass that talks a lot about all of the things we talked about today, triggers, tantrums, things like that. That's totally free you can take. And then we also have parenting courses and workshops as well that you can find on our website. Jess, thank you for everything. I know Amy and I, we're both feeling so inspired right now. So if you are as well, your takeaway is just to do one of these things. Maybe look into the free resources or the parenting course. Maybe it's getting that list of negotiables and non-negotiables down with your partner, or even as simple as staying calm, waiting for the chaos to settle and teaching when teachable. So we loved what you had to say, Jess. Thank you again. And we're so excited to put these principles into play. 